Now, we all know that Martin can metabolise a pint in five minutes, but I bet even he wouldn't turn his nose up at getting free beer delivered to his door. Yes, our friends at Beer 52 are offering our listeners a free case of eight unique craft beers. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF and cover the postage of $5.95. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club. Even Big Mandy is welcome, but not Colin. He's an utter bozo. Each month, members are sent a crate of beer with different themes. Don't like dark beer? Then choose the light option. Comes with a magazine and two snacks, BLT and crumpets not included. Don't be a cockwomble. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF to get this amazing offer. That's www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF. from the WTAF of This Country podcast. I really enjoyed it. If you love that podcast, try our new one, where Pavo... You have to find out about me. And Neil... As you may know, I'm not always the most macho of men. Chat about everything. everything. Are you going to please everybody? I don't think you are. Join us every Wednesday for some fun topical chat where we ask the hard-hitting questions. How do I take my tea? Where we reminisce about days gone by. What is my most embarrassing moment? Would it be soiling yourself somewhere? (laughs) It is, actually. (laughs) Where we give you, the listener, the chance to learn all about us. When you get an ear infection, if you remember, you're sick. You don't even need... That's not Liverpool. Sick. 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 Please download, subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. Thanks for noticing. Pavo and Neil. Chat about everything. everything. <laughs> yeah, hey, 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 I like that one. All right, I'm Len, and uh, you're listening to What the Actual Fuck podcast. Don't know what the fuck that is. Some shit. Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck? Hey, what the actual fuckers, and welcome to WTAF of This Country podcast. Now, first, he's the man who loves his meerkats, sleeps with his eyes open, but does shit tattoos. It's Neil. Every single statement you made that is true. I genuinely sleep with my eyes open. Do you? Half open, yeah. And how would you be with a, if you had to do a tattoo? That's something we should do for charity, a what? tattoo on each other. All right, then. Well, oh, I didn't think you'd no. go for that. <laughs> <laughs> but genuinely, I freak people out. Do you? My mum used to think there was something wrong with me. Well, but, there yeah, is. Yeah. Half, well, yeah. Half my eyes. Really? Open, yeah. White. That's scary. Mm. You're like Bran, then. Yeah. When his eyes roll in the back of yeah. his head. Yeah. 
Just I'm like sure, I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Our superfan guest this episode is a journalist, radio presenter, documentary maker, Sony Gold winner, and with all that makes us all feel very lazy. Please welcome someone who we need to ask the burning question of the day, what the hell is going on in Game of Thrones? It's Louise Holland. Oh, I was really enjoying that until you asked me about Game of Thrones because I'm so stressed out about it. <laughs> well, that's it. I'm sure later on we shall have a little bit of time and we will discuss because yeah. we yeah, did okay. our... We did our weekly sort of chatting podcast yesterday where we did we both sort of vented a little bit about Game of Thrones. So it sounds like you maybe have the same concerns. Yes, but also I'm basically in a WhatsApp group that I've been putting with some friends. And every Game of Thrones night, there's this flurry of messages and gifts and all my friends with their theories. And I just managed to get through an episode thinking... Okay, I understand it. I know what happened. But if you're going to start asking me about strategy in the future, these friends, like, they are, they've got, they, they have, like, a, a much more in-depth knowledge that I do. I kind of feel like I watch it for fun, and they watch it in case they ever need to take on White Walkers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel totally superficial in terms of my knowledge compared to them. I've, I've come to it a little bit late, I think, in regards to, like, the whole backstory and stuff like that, and... Uh, um, apologies to all of this country fans. We will get to this country in a minute, but I, I've, I'm fascinated with things like theories, and I, I don't know about you. I find fan theories more interesting than what is actually happening at the moment in Game of Thrones. Yeah, I think the thing that seems to come across is the fact that it's really obvious that this is the season that um, that uh, Martin didn't write. Yeah, and you can really see that difference. But I would love to see some spin-off with um, fan fiction. I love that stuff. I've not no dedication to do it myself, but I, I would, I think people's imaginations and talent's incredible. Obviously sometimes incredibly bad, but I think there's a space for that as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. I mean, wasn't that where, what was, the, what was born out of fan fiction? Was it Twilight? Or something was born no, out it was, of... No, yeah, it was Twilight. No, no, Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, was yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other beast but yeah that was born out of fan fiction that though. was born out of okay let's get on to the uh the matter in hand uh louise where did you and when did you discover this country i have two it depends who you ask so i think i discovered it when i saw a clip on bbc three's twitter page uh twitter profile and thought oh my god what an awful documentary how exploitative and i know my brother says i discovered it when he called me and said you've got to watch this mockumentary you will love it it's basically a lot like growing up where we did but in the Cotswolds not the north um so yeah there's two different stories me thinking it was real from the 30 second clip that I saw on on online and then my brother telling me that I had to get with the program and watch it and and it was one of those days because I, I don't know about you guys but I work shifts and there's some days where I just think you know what today's not a good day for working I, and I binged watched all of season one and just thought this is the most joyful thing Right. Which, which which clip did you see? I can't remember. I think it was a bit of a mishmash. I remember um, Kerry and Curtin. I find it so hard to say their names without putting the accent on. <laughs> and I can't, it's like I'd hate it if someone did it to me, but I always kind of want to say Curtin. Right. Uh, uh, Kerry and Curtin were outside uh, the house talking. It was one of those clips. And it was just so... Like, I totally recognise them as people that I would have known. Mm. Um, albeit probably not in a football shirt, if it's really, if I'm really honest with you. Um, yeah, and I just... I just I just thought, God, these poor kids, they've been roped into some really awful documentary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so after you've been watched it, Louise, was there an episode that stood out 
the most for you in that series? Season one, um, the GNVQ one, but for like quite heartbreaking reasons. So I wouldn't say that's the one that made me just roar with laughter. That's the one where I thought, oh God, there's so much more to this series and these characters. And to Daisy May as a writer, that's when I was like, she she's our new Victoria Wood, in my opinion. Not I don't know about the singing and everything, but I look I like I think my stand up that I could watch on repeat and never not find funny is the Mandy's tattoo. Mm. I just find I love Mandy. I think she's an incredible character. Um, those sketches. The I hope I'm not spoiling anything, but obviously it's, it's out. And, but the sketches of the tattoos are so appalling. I, I still roar every time I see it um, and just Kerry's utter terror of how to get out of this situation and Curtin then just not backing her up when, she, when he says to her when she says to Curtin did you want a tattoo Curtin he's like nope yeah. no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about that episode it's just so beautifully nuanced and funny and brilliant so did you do the same with series two when it came out did you binge the whole lot then I this was I actually had a debate with myself about how to do it and I really wanted to wait because I think it came out every week didn't it so I yeah. didn't I don't watch mm. it on TV I didn't wait I watched it as it came out but didn't wait until it was on TV that night I watched it was literally refreshing BBC Three at nine in the morning which is genuinely something I've not done over a TV program for a very long time um, but I thought that was great because the I'd, I'd kind of been waiting to see how the characters were going to develop. Um, I just, there was so, it just felt such a deeper series, still really funny, but in season two, it really felt like the characters had, got, had gone even further and I was even more attached to them and it was even more bittersweet, I think, the second season. Mm. Mm. So when you got to the end of um, series two, it left us on a bit of a cliffhanger and we got into the special. Yeah. Did the special do what you wanted it to do or did it resolve how you yeah. wanted it to resolve? It, it, I think some of the, in the special, I think some of the funny bits were some of the funniest bits that have been, like, every time that I see the, um, every time that I see those sketches, the court sketches, <laughs> I obviously nearly have a stroke. I mean, <laughs> it's genius. They're just absolutely fantastic. Um, I genuinely think it's fair to say that I've not hated a character as much as Martin Mucklow. You know, like, I hate him. I hate him. Um, and this isn't, you know, this isn't even some TV, you know, ITV crime drama. This is the nice comedy, but I still hate Martin Mucklow with such a passion. Um, and again, when Kerry went off to find out more about her dad and realised it was a different Martin, um, that's what I really, I think that again was another moment for me when I realised that this isn't just a kid that's a kid. I mean, she's not that much younger than me. This isn't a young woman who is going to be a one hit wonder on a BBC three show. She might have written this, and this might be her moment, but I can see her having a 30-, 40-year career as the most incredible character actor as well mm. because she just everything with one glimmer on her face. And this is why I'm not an actor, obviously. I can't even describe how impressive I find her. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I watched it quite a few times, actually, because I felt like it was one of those programmes where I had to... There was so much going on, you kind of wanted to, to go over it and go over it and not miss anything. It's, well, we've said it so many times that it's it's very layered um, yeah. in the fact that it is... I, I don't know another series that's like it where, I mean, I've just for, for the podcast, I've watched every episode in minute detail 
three times, three or four times, just like stopping every 10 seconds and you still yeah. find something different. Like yeah. you say, like a little nuanced look or a look that Daisy will give to the camera that, that you think, I never noticed that before, or something in the background. And just those little really normal human relationships. I love the relationship between Curtin and the vicar and then separately um, Kerry and the vicar. So when he was driving her in his little car and she was trying to make him sing ridiculous songs on the car journey, she was horrified he was listening to David Gray. It's just so relatable on so many levels and then so unrelatable on so many other levels. For me, and anyway. It's also the thing that, like, what I love, because we're sort of heavily involved in the This Country fan community, yeah. things like David Gray now is a god in the This Country fan community. Oh, because, really? yeah, because he's now, you know, and Babylon is a song mm. that people will quote and I'll, I was listening yeah. to Babylon today and stuff. And it's yeah. little things like that that all of a sudden they become a lot bigger in... In, it, in this world, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, because it's it's bringing something... I guess, you know, for my generation, because I think I'm probably maybe a little bit older than you guys, I think for me the similar thing would be the Friends episodes, and I think that's very similar. I know, I know obviously, Friends is, is global and it's 20 years old and some jokes are dated and some will be iconic forever. But with this, I feel like there are just those little jokes and throwaway phrases and I realise I'll say them to maybe some people with blank faces. I'm like, you don't watch this country, do you? I'm just, okay, I'm just gonna just take that one away with me. <laughs> um yeah, so I think it really shows the fans as well the level of um of conversation you can have with them. <laughs> Indeed. And I also love the fact that you think that we're younger than you. Yeah, that we'll is we'll absolutely that. not not I've the case. I've got a fancy filter on my ear <laughs> 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 I wish everybody had that fancy filter. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we will get onto this country again a little bit later on, but more about yeah. yourself. Now, as a journalist, yeah. um, it must be very interesting times at the moment being a journalist. It is and it isn't for me in that, yes, it is as someone who loves news and follows it and watches it all the time. Um, it's so frustrating because I actually can't tell you what I'm working on at the minute, but I'm okay. working on something... It's gonna, it might be a bit of a letdown to be honest, but I'm I'm really excited about it. But I can't say anything till October because it's quite it's quite a sensitive subject, and I I want need to make sure that everything's in place before I can officially say that it's definitely going to happen. And um, but I'm working on something away from news and politics at the minute, and it's really fulfilling, and I'm really proud of it. And um, but it does mean that I'm just not in the newsroom. So I'm now watching the world go through its weird phases as a as a normal person, and um. It's definitely one of those things where you think I need to have a bit of a more nine to five job because otherwise Sky News will be on the whole time and I'm starting to live in this world of caring about news that most people, to an extent that most normal people don't want to have conversations with you about it. Um, it's been quite an up and down year, hasn't it? Quite quite bonkers in terms of all the, the political machinations of the UK. And um, I realised that I spend too much time on Twitter following proper journalists, the political journalists. And then if you're in the pub with friends, nobody wants to talk about it. It's the same level that I do. Mm. A bit like actually <laughs> so but you say that i mean we, we we don't normally get bogged down in politics and that but, but something like brexit is that is that a godsend for journalists or is it something that they go oh my god we're gonna have to do so much research because i'm assuming that as a journalist you're supposed to know as much or if not more than the people you're interviewing or talking to I, do you know what? I think it's really interesting you say this because as a broad brush, brush stroke, and in no way have I researched this properly, 
I feel like Brexit has been one of those topics that's thrown quite a lot of journalists. Mm. Of course, there are some brilliant political journalists in the UK, especially the ones based out of the EU, um, or but rather based out of Brussels. And they they were all read, you know, they might have done degrees in politics and social policy and European, you know, just they just have this incredible brain um, where so much of this stuff they will know academically and they'll have known by maybe being a Brussels-based journalist for a long time. And then I think there are others, probably people like me, <laughs> that find themselves cramming <laughs> really desperately going, how, like, how do we, how are we supposed to know this? Especially when you're under a certain age and we've always been part of the EU. So for a certain generation of journalists, unless you studied um, geopolitics or European politics at uni and you have a, a degree in it or a real understanding in it, it's all we've ever known. Mm. So to then start, discussing the extraction of the uk from the eu a it's so complicated anyway and b because it is all we've ever known you're suddenly starting to consider things that we they've never come up before i mean who heard the word backstop like until a year ago two years ago yeah so i think it's definitely i think it's been a learning curve for everybody either when we've got we've had to learn the the nuances of european politics or for those that did know it, we've had to learn a lot about, I think, ourselves and British culture as well and, and how this has all happened. Well, the only backstop I knew was, like, playing rounders. That was the only backstop you used to have there, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Remember that? Just Remember about. Days? Just about, like, just about. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it's like, it is, I've, I I do get, it's the same as when when musicians are talking about writing music and it's the... The, the language that they use. It's the same with politicians. I get sort of drawn in. I don't understand what they're talking about at all. But you get drawn into how they're talking about things. And like you say, it's like a different language sometimes. Yeah. And, and how they, they're the people that I suppose we trust to know what they're doing. And then yeah. when you find out that actually it sounds like they don't know what they're talking about, you sort of lean on the journalists to be the people that will tell you that actually this is yeah. what it's all about. Yeah, and then and then you hope uh, hope against hope that the journalists know that as well. And you sort of you mentioned is it something that we sort of live for? And I think what's interesting is you get into journalism because you either want to make a difference or you live if you, depending on which sort of sphere you work in, you either want to make a difference, you want to uncover injustices, or you want to hold power to account. And I think that um, I think there's probably a little part of all of us. That's just sitting there going, this, this is this is incredible. Like this is actually happening before our eyes, and especially when you see the likes of Robert Peston or John Sopel or journalists with thirty, forty years of experience, really they're top of their game. Um, they have these this profile on TV, and they know their stuff inside out. And you can tell from their Twitter feeds that they're just sitting there at the end of the night, just going, "What?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it's kind of reassuring for the more maybe younger members of the community as well. <laughs> so, uh, Louise, why did you get into journalism then? Um, I always try and answer this with a really good answer, like, I just wanted to, you know, make a difference. But I think I was just nosy. So I used to watch, speaking of telly, I used to watch a kid's show called Press Gang. Do you remember yeah, that? On yeah, yeah. Dexter Fletcher was in that, and, wasn't he? And uh, what's her? Julia Swallow. Yeah. It. I loved it. I could relate to Linda Day like nothing on earth. And I I just thought this was brilliant, all these young people being nosy and writing wrongs and going out interviewing people. And uh, my mum just said to me one day, I can't imagine you being a journalist. And I was like, yeah, this is it. And then I just stayed on that. Apart from the time I wanted to be a Spice Girl for a bit, 
Um, but pretty much consistently, that's what I've wanted to do since I was eight years old. Um, and obviously, like any career, there's ups and downs, especially because I've always chosen to stay freelance, which has meant that I've done loads of showbiz reporting. I've done the hard newsroom shifts. I've done documentaries. I can present on local radio. I can, I've done national radio documentaries. I've produced national radio. So my CV is absolutely all over the place. Um, but it's been it's been amazing. It's been great fun. Mm. And also, obviously not fun when you are working on really difficult projects, but at least by the end of those projects, you think that's going to go out into the world. And especially in this day and age of social media, it's quite terrifying to put your head above the parapet and put something out there that, you hope it's going to make a difference, but also know you know that you can get potentially opened up to criticism. But luckily, I've got that really great balance. I think where people in my industry know me, and yeah, I can. I don't get trolled on Twitter, and nobody sends me horrible letters saying that I don't know what kind of things that that women that are on literally on telly every night have to put up with. Mm. So, which particular? strand of your career do you enjoy the most whether it's producing or making documentaries or presenting which is the bit that you enjoy the most whenever I'm in it I'm enjoying what I'm doing the most as long as the subject matter is engaging me right loved I love 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 doing local radio I can happily do that day in day out the project that I'm working on at the moment I think is I hope is really important and I think it might be one of those things that could make quite bring bring around some change hopefully i think it's anything where you realize that you're giving someone their voice back not to sound like really cringy <laughs> yeah I, I i've interviewed quite a lot of people who open up about the worst experience in their of their life um and whether it's a, a diagnosis they weren't expecting or a crime that they've been the victim of and i think by the time they get to talking to a journalist or being part of a documentary or an article or a radio program they're in that position where they want to talk. And I think the fact that you're that conduit, I think it's pretty amazing, to be honest. Mm. So I was going to say, do you feel like you, you have to be a certain kind of person to be a journalist? And is it because you have to, <laughs> but like, I mean, like, I mean, like you say that you have to stick your head above a parapet. So you have to have yeah. some kind of courage and be a bit brave with that to take the flack or whatever kind that comes towards you. It's so funny you should say that. I was listening back to an interview that I've just done this week and I was listening to it going, I can't work out if I'm brilliant or shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I and I was listening to my interview going, on the one hand, I sound nice and this person's opening up to me and I'm being really kind and like really giving him the chance to speak about this unspeakable trauma that he's been through. And then I just thought, I was thinking of all that really hard kick-ass journalists on telly that sit down and grill like Paxman and or the, the you know the grill the big the politicians of the day, and I think it's about your own personal style. So I don't think I would last five minutes on Newsnight grilling Farage. Mm. I think far too emotional, and I don't. And I I think I I think I get too emotional to be forensic about certain topics. I think the kind of personality that I have has led me to the kind of journalism that I've done, if that makes sense. But but. It, in my also in my defence, I can see a lot of people that are doing the the big kick-ass investigative um, political forensic questioning, who I wouldn't want to put with a vulnerable contributor at any point because maybe this, that there's a disconnect between how they would interview them. Um, so I think maybe in journalism you find the right niche for you. Does that make sense? Is that yeah, it really... does. It does. Talking to yeah. Farage, we were talking earlier. I'm going to ask. <laughs> okay. 
explain, if you could, Louise, if you can, what, why is Farage so popular? Oh, I'm, you're asking the wrong person. I don't understand it. I think it's just, I think some people say hit the, and I say right in speech marks, the right nerve at the right time. Um, but I also think whilst he does have his fans and he does have his popularity, I also think that he obviously has a lot of detractors and a lot of criticism and I wouldn't want his fans and followers and success, again, I'm using speech marks, um, in any way because I... Yeah, it's one of those. He's one of those Marmite people, isn't he? I, 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 I couldn't wake up every morning and 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 live in that world. Mm. It's funny because I, was, I said the same thing, wasn't it? I don't, mm. I don't understand the whatever kind of popularity. Again, we don't get political on this podcast, but I don't understand the the popularity. So what are these questions? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the other question is, is like if I mean, obviously, we don't, we don't sort of care what your political affiliations are or whatever but when you're interviewing somebody it, is it is it hard to keep your own opinions to yourself when you're maybe facing somebody i find it so hard and then what's really confusing is then when you sort of think oh actually i quite like this person oh right and I, but I, to be honest i've never really interviewed i don't really interview that many politicians right um so i yeah, it's a bit of a moot point for me, that one, because I tend not to do the political stuff. So I'll have really strong opinions going, God, if that was me doorstepping that person, I'd ask this. But then I'm actually not a very confrontational person. Um, so if it came down to it, I probably wouldn't ask them that at all. Um, but I think I think it depends on the level of, of passion. Like there's been times when I've had to make documentaries where you're holding somebody to account. It could be government body. It could be someone who's done wrong. And I don't find that difficult because it's there's very clearly a victim and a perpetrator mm. and I think politics is a bit more nuanced because there just needs to be that that balance because you might disagree with someone politically but that doesn't necessarily mean you need to hate them <laughs> you know there's, I think in these times it feels like everything is so disconnected that we are all on one side or another mm. which is a real shame actually because I always think um well as Joe Cox always said there's more that unites us and divides us and I just really hope we can get back to that mm. So I was going to say, when being a freelance journalist, do you do you get to pick everything that you do then, um, or are you given stories that you think sound interesting, but once you're involved, you're not engaged in it? Does that ever happen? So, either it comes down to two things: it's either someone says to you, "Can you come and cover like a week of shifts?" or "We've got this corporate film you need to do," or um, "We're covering." Can you come and cover a radio show for a couple of weekends? And usually, yeah, of course, within a normal newsroom shift, there's, there's stuff that's so boring. Like, I remember going into, no word of a lie, a certain broadcaster's toilet and crying with boredom when I was covering the budget one day. Oh, right. <laughs> and I was like, this is just so dull and I don't understand any of it. And I, oh, my God, my head's in my hands. And then the other, so obviously just doing any kind of shift, you're going to get work, which you're going to find quite dull. Um but then on the flip side of that, as a freelancer, if someone comes to me with an interview or an area of to investigate or something that I think is a great story, if you're already a reporter on X show or you have your radio show, you can pitch and say, look, I want to do this. And if, if you've already got the platform and they think it's a good story and it stands up, then you can do it. 
as a freelancer, you then have to be like, right, well, where do I pitch that to? And then you've got to balance telling the person that's come to you that this is a great story and I want to do it. But I also have to pitch it and it might take a long time and they might say no or they might say, yeah, but can you produce it? We want our own reporter to front it. And and then it, and then things get lost and it takes ages and no one's going to be invested in this person as you are because they don't know them, they don't know you. So it's a real mix of all of those things, basically. Is there anybody, well, who, who's left that you would really like to interview? Who's on your interview wish list? Oh. Well, I've been watching Veep religiously, um, and I'd love to interview Julie, Julie, <laughs> Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Mm-hmm. I think she's just great. Um, God, that's a good question. Um, oh, my God. Actually, do you know what? It's, it's a really obvious answer. I'd love to interview Daisy May and um, Charlie, because I just think – I've seen them interviewed, and I think they're a riot. Yeah. Um, let me think who else uh anyone in the royals i'm obsessed with the royal family anyone right. i'd love to with them um god it's so difficult because i have not done showbiz for quite a long time in terms of reporting and then i know i've seen a really good film or a really great musical or a really good tv show when i'm watching it all the way through and just thinking I, I, this is what i'd ask i need to ask this i need to find that out um so that made me a little bit uh, nostalgic for my showbiz reporting days but yeah, God, um, that's Sp- a good question. Spice Girls, obviously. Oh, old news did that years ago. Oh, oh, well, there you go. Oh, then you could do the press gang reunion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even that would that would oh, that would be amazing. There's one for you. There. Yeah, yeah. There's one for. What, 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 can I ask you a question? What, what, what? When Daisy May and Charlie came on the podcast, what were they like? They are. I mean, we're we're lucky enough to call them. We're we're friends. Really? With, da- with Daisy and Charlie, yeah. And, yeah, um, so we've interviewed Daisy before this country, so we've done bits with her before. And they are just the loveliest people. The whole family is just the loveliest people that you could wish to meet. Loveliest and funniest. Yeah. So it must be great for you guys, and if you knew them before this, to see this success that they've had. Mm. It's, it's, it's very strange. It's, it's surreal because when you watch, again, the amount of times that we've watched the series, and then we will see them walking around Tesco or Waitrose... <laughs> Yeah. And you think, oh my god! And like Daisy, she she doesn't care. She'll just be there in like the the grubbiest yeah. sweats that she I can wear, that. and and then you think, my god, that's the woman that was on the telly. That's the woman that was yeah. in the Baftas. And you think, oh my god. As Kerry Mucklow would say about Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen, so humble. So yeah. humble. <laughs> that's <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely true. Absolutely did you true. See it at the Baftas this week. Uh, when was it? Last weekend. Yeah. So what did you make of the dress? Oh. Amazing. Like when I saw her last year in the Swindon, actually I don't know if football it was Swindon. Yeah, right? it was Swindon, yeah. yeah. I was like, well, firstly she looks stunning. I mean, who could pull that off? She looked great. And genuinely, I filled up when I watched that clip saying this is why she was dressed as a bin bag. And I was like, I love you. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I I I got a a message, a picture message from Jill, her mum, who made the dress, um, about an hour before. The, the red carpet and it was just a, it said she, she on the message it said look out for this hat and it was the the bin the, lid with, pi- with the pigeon top. on the top and i thought and literally about five minutes before i said to my wife i wonder what daisy's gonna wear tonight and then i got this message and it was it was jill saying yeah what look out for this hat i thought oh my god what the hell is she gonna wear tonight and then when i started seeing it i thought it's brilliant it is just brilliant so are they in terms of your friendship with them are they, are they quite 
if you were to text me, I've had a great idea for for next season. No, yeah. we haven't got that sort of. Uh, we wish we could. We wish we could. I no. mean, the, the thing is, like, since they've got a lot more successful, uh, our sort of our avenue to them is sort of closed down a little yeah. bit more. It becomes more of an official way of, unless obviously, obviously we. You know, I was um, with, uh, make me saying grand, I was with my personal trainer last week or the week before, uh, and Daisy and Jill came in like on the session straight after, and I hadn't seen them for a while. But we'll see them wandering around, won't yeah, we? And, yeah. and then we sort of chat and say hello and stuff. But um, you know, we, often, we, we, we see them all over the place, don't yeah, we? Yeah, it's just, it's just lovely to see. It couldn't happen, the success to nicer people it just couldn't it's it's impossible the thing i found strange the, last time i saw them both together and i was stood chatting and we were chatting away as just as normal and then i suddenly thought why are these people stood round and then you forget i yeah. completely forgot that yeah. they were waiting to speak to them because they're on the tv mm. yeah, yeah. That, that was quite bizarre yeah so what are you hoping for for next see because i've got loads of ideas that i want to see what do well, you want let, to see happen well, let us is... ask you this. yeah what Let's do you think you. <laughs> no you carry on <laughs> I mean, that's, the, that's the journalist in you, you see. I will. I will say one that I've always, I've always said that I think would be a lot of fun is a day trip to like Western Supermare, which is our most local beach from where they live here. Just on okay. the bus, going off for a day, not anything going to move there or anything like that. Just a day trip with everybody, like the vicar, Mandy, and everybody. Just and think Les, be... love that idea. Mm. What would you like to see? In I'd like to see Daisy find uh, uh, Kerry find love. Okay. Who, who with, or do you think it should uh, be a well, new character? Well, and this is the thing, and it's not. It's not. I don't think it needs to be romantic love. I think it needs to be either a father. I know she's got the vicar, but someone who just loves her, like Curtin loves her, but in the way that if your cousin just sort of got to love them, haven't you? Yeah. Like yeah. It's that sibling relationship. The vicar feels protective of her, but I'd love her to find someone who just takes her as she is, whether it's a female friend or an older mum figure or maybe a nice young man that doesn't want to her to lift trucks. Like, you know, the, like in the way she was getting those what, threatening... From, from Dan, yeah. From we, Dan. we said that could be quite funny, though, if they did end up having a relationship. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was beautiful. That was another great episode. Oh, yeah, and especially the bit when, you know, again, standing outside the house and Kerry thinks that Mandy's looking after her because she's had a stalker. And then the realisation on Kerry's face when she realised Mandy was the stalker. Yeah. And she just goes through the list of S Club 7 and Mandy's just looking more and more guilty. I, I mean, God, how, where do they get this stuff? It's just so simple and it's so brilliant. It is, it is. Um, we, we, I was going to talk a little... I, wanted to, I still wanted to get your opinion on Game of Thrones, if you don't mind me going back on, yeah. back on to that. And spoilers, just in case anybody's listening to this and haven't... By the time this goes out, the last episode will have uh, will have gone out as well. So... Okay. This, this last series has been very divisive, I feel. Uh, especially yeah. the last couple of episodes. Now, where do you stand on, on the division? Are you happy with how I, it's going? It turns out I've got my own mini division away from all the other divisions. Okay. Right, so the Winterfell one, the White Walker one. Yes. Boring as hell. Because I couldn't see anything. And I know I sound like my nana. No, you, everybody says that. The next day when everyone said that, I was like, did I just get killed? What just happened? And that just wound me up too much. Mm. Um, But I did like the fact that it was a subplot of the White Walkers done in one episode. And then we could go back, one grand episode, but then we could go back to the, the battle of all the families for the Iron Throne. Um, 
I thought this week's was really good. Okay. I did really enjoy it because I, I, I was literally sitting there going, who's going to die, who's going to die, who's going to die? And as long as Tyrion is fine and Arya is fine, I feel like I'm prepared for anything. Okay. I feel like they're the two that if anything happens to them, I will feel shortchanged. But with everyone else, I feel like there's enough... <laughs> Either I'm not engaged with them enough, like Jon Snow, um, or they've been too up and down through the seasons for me to really be invested in them. Mm. So again, without the spoilers, there are two key deaths, which considering the relationship between the two, I thought was quite beautifully done. Okay, I was going to... That was... Did you not feel shortchanged? And I've said well, there'll be spoilers, so Cersei and Jamie die in a, yeah. in a, in a, a cascade of bricks and mortar and God knows what. Were you not shortchanged that Cersei didn't get a gruesome death at the hand of someone? That's what I felt shortchanged about. I didn't because for the last for the last episode, that last episode, you. I'm not saying I like her at all. She's an evil woman. Don't mm. get me wrong. Don't be like putting this like Louise loves Cersei because I've done it. <laughs> but all her humanity, I think, came out in that episode, and all her vulnerabilities, and you started to see a little bit about how she, why she was, why how she was. I felt anyway, and she did truly love Jamie, and he truly loved her, and for all their bloody weirdness there was something quite poignant about them going down in king's landing together okay if they're dead oh, no, he's... oh and the other thing isn't there actually yeah there's the, that's the other other thing yeah because it didn't it didn't show you them dead they, they were okay. trapped you never know that would be the biggest raspberry in the face but at the if moment they turn with this around current and they series, walk away i can't see with that. this current series i'm i'm finding this current series so frustrating hmm. it needed to be longer and they're just closing everything off too easily for me they set it all up all through the other series and yeah interestingly one of the things that my friend on this infamous whatsapp group said he was more devastated by daenerys doing such a kamikaze thing when she could have been the bigger and that really upset him because he's like she's good She's been a good character. She's been this sort of voice of morality. I mean, obviously, a few odds and ends where she hasn't been. Yeah. Um, but I think he saw her as somebody who was a good ruler. And he was genuinely felt really, um, I guess, let down for one of a bit. I mean, we're talking about this like it's real life. And it mm. just shows, even if we're all disappointed with something this season, we still really bloody care about it, don't we? It's not exactly. Like we're yeah, I think that's the mark of the good of a good show is that it can be it, you can not agree with things, but it's because you care about the characters so much. You know, yeah. if the characters were crap, you wouldn't give a toss, and you'd be all oh, right, okay. You know, it's nothing like this country or Game of Thrones, but I remember the very final episode of Spooks, probably in about two thousand nine. Did you not okay. watch it? No, no, sorry. It's been a bit of a a bit of a um, well, they wrote me love story between two very gentle characters the whole way through, Harry and Ruth. And in the last episode of the last season where they'd bought a cottage and you're like, they are going to get together, she got murdered. Oh, spoilers. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, feel like, I feel like it's ten years ago now. <laughs> and I genuinely, and considering I do a lot of freelance work with a lot of TV production companies, I genuinely nearly wrote to the production company and was like, I, I, no, I hate you. And symbolically, I have season one to nine box set of Spooks and I won't buy season ten. <laughs> it's been nearly ten years. Did they, not, did they not do a movie? They did, and Kit Harrington was, was in the movie. But for me, 
that's just a movie about MI5. That isn't spooks. The right. movie. Do you see what I mean? Like it's a fine film on its own, but it, it didn't. It felt like an, with the exception of like two characters, it felt like a, it's just completely different different thing. Like the, the, the two characters were in it, everyone else wasn't. It just it was it was too disjointed from the series that I I loved so passionately. Right. So quickly quickly back to this country then. So where yeah. would you like to see it go? What what exactly you said about a love interest maybe, but is there yeah. any situations you'd like to see them at? Um I I'd like to see the relationship between Kerry and her stepmom and stepbrothers grow because I thought that was there was just something so lovely about when she walked into that house at the end of the last season was like, "All right, boys." And she was so hopeful and excited and she realized that well, in that beautifully brilliantly written line um, I wish I wish I'd watched it again actually to be able to recite it so so brilliantly. Um, where she said, "Well, if you look at Catherine of Aragon and Anne of Cleves, one might start to think the problem is actually Henry VIII." <laughs> she realised that her dad maybe was a bit of an absolute ass. She then realised that she did have this other family that she could connect to, even if it wasn't the guy that she originally wanted. Martin Mucklow, even if he's not in it, it's really bad though, isn't it? Because the actor's so good, you sort of you don't want the actor not to be in it. But I hate Martin Mucklow so yeah. much. I, he needs to like really come back and make amends. Or they need to do something clever with him, I think. And I know he's their dad, so I'm assuming he will come back. Um mm. the vicar, I love the vicar. I was quite mm. I didn't I couldn't really relate to the son. Like I could I, I didn't I couldn't really feel like that is the considering what the vicar was like, how the son was so different. But I guess that's the key, isn't it? You grow up as a vicar son in a small village and you're gonna have maybe a few issues here and there. Um, but I'd love something wonderful to happen to the vicar because I could see, I, I could literally watch poor Shahidi in every scene, in everything ever, to the point where if I see him in a film, I'm like, it's the vicar! Yeah. <laughs> Stalin! The vicar, he was in, um, uh, I watched it, it was about when he, it was Christopher Robin with um, Ewan McGregor. I'm like, it's the vicar! Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love him. I think he's an incredible actor. He he's is. in uh, Good Deeds, that's coming out very that's soon, right, isn't yeah, he? The Neil Gaiman thing, he's in on that. Amazon, yeah. yeah. Right, before we uh, uh, wind things up, we're going to have a little bit of a quiz, Louise. Oh, no, so... I need to do this. <laughs> Are you ready? So we're playing Kerry or Curtain. You can have a line of dialogue, and you need to yeah. tell me whether it's Kerry or Curtain. Okay. Here we go. Number one. She's going to be so livid that we, like, legged it. Oh, I need a bit of context. She's um, going to be so livid that we, liked legged it. Kerry, about uh, Mandy when they did the tattoo. Well done. Well done. Yes. Awesome. Number two. You deserved happiness just as much as the next man, don't you? Curtain. That was Kerry. Oh. And I can't remember what part of it, oh, it was. Oh, one job! <laughs> I think it's the vicar. Uh, uh, you deserved happiness just as much as the next man, don't you? I can't remember. I did these this morning and I still can't remember where they were. Number three. Uh, that was brutal. It looked like he was going to cry. Oh! Um, that was Curtain. That was Curtain. Yeah. Well done. Again, I can't remember where that bit is. Where was that bit, Louise? I think that... I think that was oh it was season one i feel like i've seen it quite recently it was season one and maybe to do with slugs no it was um it was when the vicar shouted at len after oh, um her legs season two that's yeah. right yeah that's that's where that bit came uh number four 
I'm not a fashion disaster. Oh, uh, I think that was Curtain too. That's Kerry. Oh, that's was when, it when she, she was in the suit when she was selling Vitality Life. No, that was when they were in the uh, hospital waiting room. And uh, Curtain says, "You're just a fashion disaster. It'd be nice if you just bought something, some England stuff." Yeah, my my season two is not good enough, is it? No. And number five, he look he he looks good. Oh God, let me start again. <laughs> He's good looking up close, ain't he? He's good looking. I'm going to go with Kerry. That was Kerry. That was as, as they as they were leaving the hospital, uh, and Curtin's ex girlfriend and her boyfriend walked past them. Yes, so yes. that was. I mean, was that three? Um, yes, one. Could be three. That's great. Three. Yeah, three. three. That's so well very done. respectable. Very, very respectable. good. See, well done. That's very good. That's very good. We've already said. Right <laughs> so, what have you got? I know there's that particular project that you can't talk about at the moment, but have you got any other irons in the fire, as they say? Well, to be honest, I've got such a tight deadline on this. I'm living, breathing, and literally, genuinely, literally, actually dreaming about this project. And I know I'm like the worst person ever because it's not like it's a Hollywood film. Um, but I am. My hands are tied by more important people than me. But I am genuinely dreaming and not always in a good way about what I'm working on at the minute. You know, when you think I've got a deadline, I've got so much to do. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, which is why, actually, because it is quite, quite about quite a sort of traumatic area of crime that having the downtime to watch this country, to watch Veep, Game of Thrones, this is when you remember it's so important to have that mixture of light and shade in life. And thank God for people like um, the Coopers who bring that joy to us. Mm, absolutely. Here, here. Absolutely. And I don't know how better to end the podcast than that. Oh, I do. Do you? Go on then. Can, can I be friends with them? Can you introduce them? Oh, we can. When, we can when, if you're ever in this area... We can definitely try. Whenever you're in this area, you're welcome to come to the shed, the studio. Our little shed, yeah. And we'll see do. what we can do. And we'll see what we yeah. can do. I mean, we... Well, we I go in the supermarket and hope that they're there. That's what you can do. Yeah, yeah. just wander around the supermarket all day, yeah. every day for a week. I'm yeah. sure you... <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, we can use whatever um, powers we power, which we've got absolutely none. But you yeah. never know. We we can always uh, try. And, or you know. if you're free on Friday the no, Sunday the twenty first of July, they're doing a charity football match, and Daisy In Sarasen, and Charlie yeah. will be there. Get me tickets, guys. Yeah. I'm relying on you. Okay, we'll see what we can do for that. <laughs> yeah, we will be there because we're commentating on the day. So, uh, so oh, yeah. yeah. But I, I think. Paul Shahidi is supposed to be there, and uh, Len is supposed to be there. Daisy and Charlie are supposed to be there. Martin Mucklow himself will Martin be there. Martin Mucklow will be oh, there. Well, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing, so, you know. You meet him, yeah. He is. We, we've always called him a shithouse, um, Martin <laughs> Mucklow. But Paul, Paul Cooper is one of the nicest people you are ever likely to meet. This shows what a good actor he is, because I can't even imagine that at all. And this is his only first acting job, isn't it, first, really? yeah. Yeah, but then it worries me how good he is at being mm. so horrible. <laughs> I know, and also the fact that, that that the kids have written that about you know for him. Their own dad, yeah. So it tells you a little bit about maybe their how they grew up and stuff like that, which is a whole. And he, yeah. he's, he's very funny in real life. If, isn't he? You've only he's... got to listen back to our podcast that we've done with him. We've got, I think we've had him in the. I mean, we've had him in the, in the well, studio. He's appeared twice on our live shows as well. Hasn't the he, live shows, us? he is amazing. 
I've he never... must be such a proud dad. He's got to be. I yeah, mean, I mean, Jill are, again. They? But again, what you said, it you, it, they are so humble. They don't. <laughs> I mean, Jill, she doesn't understand. You know, it's, it's like uh, she's like a, a rabbit in headlights a lot of the time because she doesn't understand all this. What all this fuss is about. But at the same time, they're just lovely people. Yeah. They are lovely people. And I Louise too as well they can be really proud of you but still be like hang on this is still my child who cannot stack a dishwasher in a really logical fashion so everyone else might think they're amazing and i'm proud of them but they don't have to live with them that's exactly, exactly. that's exactly what yeah. jill said we had jill in um doing a super fan episode and she said that exact thing that you know yeah. they are wonderful but you know they will be upstairs shouting and arguing with each other you got to tell them to be quiet and shut up and <laughs> doesn't matter how many BAFTAs you've won, you can still give them a bollocking every once in a while, which I think is great. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Louise, thank you very much for yes, spending Louise. some time with it's us. It's been awesome. It's been so fun, because I've always been following your Twitter account for so long. And when, honestly, when you asked me to be on, I was like, oh, they've made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, no, they do mean me. Brilliant. I'm up for that. No, absolutely. It's, 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 it's lovely to be able to uh, chat to someone like yourself about every. I mean, we've, we've covered Literally. a lot of bases uh, in the yeah. last sort of 45 minutes. Um, Louise, thank you ever so much. Uh, Neil, do you want to do a little bit of housekeeping? Yes. Let's see if we can get them all right. Right, here we go. Deep okay. breath, everybody, and relax. We are on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, under WTAF This Country. Correct. We have an email if you want to get in touch with us, which is wtaspodcast at hotmail.com. No, this country <laughs> at hotmail.com. Do you want to have another run at that? <laughs> we have an e- <clears throat> Right, rewind. We have an email that you can contact contact us on WTAF this country at hotmail.com. It's the website that is wtafpodcast.com. Com. Yes. I got the two mixed up. Well done. And if you want to support the podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash WTAF for different rewards. We've got signed stuff by the cast. Uh, Daisy, Charlie, uh, Vicar, everybody. Len, everybody. Um, everybody. They've all signed things. So there's different levels of that. Just go to that website, and that's wonderful. Thank you very much. Subscribe to the podcast. Uh, rate the podcast. Review would be lovely as well. Thank you very much. Lovely. So that's it. Thank you once again, Louise. Thank you, Louise. Been lovely chatting Bye. to you. I love uh, it. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you very much, Pam. Thank you very much, everyone. Now go get plumbed, you fuckers. <laughs> Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck? Hi, I'm Pav. I'm Neil. We're here to tell you about our new exciting project, the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Phenomenal. That's right, Neil. We grab a guest or two, pick a subject, then bring our own Top 10s to the pod. Yes. It could be Top 10 scary movies, Top 10 swear words, Top 10 breakfast foods, anything. Oh, you saucy devil. Indeed, Neil. Our first episode will be online very soon, so subscribe on all your usual podcast platforms so you don't miss it. Yes. The Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's begin the countdown. Phenomenal. Phenomenal.